This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to another preview uh, with the Patreon restructure. We've been doing previews. Mm-hmm. And this is a preview of some not what was, but what may be. Yes. Spirit. Looking into the future to a new show that is possible because of your generosity uh, after our Patreon restructure. Mm-hmm. At the time of recording, we are very close to our milestone goal to do a brand new show for patrons uh, called Unfilmable. And this is us talking about Lovecraft adaptations into the video format, either like film or TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we've covered. So what we want to do is uh, since we've already covered a lot of Lovecraft content and are currently covering it in Monster My Podcast, um, wanted to highlight a couple episodes where we've done Lovecraft specials or things about Lovecraft. So you can listen to what that approach might sound like and then say, hey, that sounds cool. I would like to get in on that. Yes. So uh, we have a handful of these that are going to be coming out, and we have a lot of things that we're planning to cover for this show. Mm-hmm. So this is, all, you know, the, the usual suspects. So this is stuff like um, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society movies, the, the Call of Cthulhu and Whisper in the Darkness, mm-hmm. um, the Stuart Gordon kind of gonzo horror stuff from yeah. beyond, Dagon, Reanimator, um, In the Mouth of Madness, um, and then some things that are more ten- tangentially or tangentially ten tangentially uh, hello i'm tangentially um ten, ten, tangentially uh related so things like army of darkness um stuff like that yeah mountains of madness yep so uh yeah we're looking forward to covering that stuff and uh stay tuned here for this duck feed classic of <laughs> us uh dealing with lovecraft stuff and what we're calling the road to unfilmable mm-hmm. um if you like this if you want to see this become reality the way to do that is go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv yes and that will also be the way to get the show Innsmouth Adult Education, Tuesday nights, Science Building 2. Okay, class. So, sorry, uh, sorry I'm late. My, uh, my, my tires were, were uh, slashed for some reason. Um, but, hey, you know, we're here. We're good. Uh, how's, how's everybody doing? Oh, I didn't know about that, stranger. Well, okay. Um, I'm, I'm not a stranger. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm your pro- professor. You can call me Sir. You can you can call me a uh, uh, professor. Something something to show a little bit of respect. I mean, you've been in you've been in this GED class for for about six weeks. So I I hope that we're not uh we're not we're not strangers. So um h- how did everybody's uh, book report go? You better stop asking questions, Professor Stranger. Uh, okay, thank you for the thank you for the respect there. That's good. Uh, but um, that's kind of kind of my my role to ask you to ask you questions. Um, I'm 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 seeing some some new faces here. If if you're here for the for the uh, uh, swimming lessons, you can you just go go over to the next building and you'll find the the the, the auditorium. Um, so if if you need to uh, take this opportunity to leave without causing a disruption, you can do that now. That's fine. So, okay, so so yeah, uh, most most of you left. Um, okay, uh, so 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 tell me, uh, w- w- what are your favorite books here? I mean, no nobody has turned anything in yet. Um, so let's just get a let's get a rap session going here. Things don't end so well for folks to be asking questions, Professor Stranger. Again, kind of kind of my 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 role to ask questions here. Why uh why why are you all staring at me like that? Um, and not blinking at all. Mm, oh okay uh not in the talking mood so let's uh let's turn in our in our copy books here uh to page 56 
where we will learn how to watch out for fireballs. I'm Gary Butterfield. I'm Cole Ross. And this is episode three of Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a retro video games podcast. And this episode, we are talking about Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. A cult classic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that uh, with this episode, we've, we've defined what we're considering retro. <laughs> yes. Um, because this, is, this is not an especially old game, but it is last generation. I think that's probably a good cutoff point. I think the the metric will be whether how easy is it to play this on hardware that you uh, already own. Uh, mm. that, would, that would be the <laughs> yeah. the way to I, the way to do it. I, I love this show, but I'm not going to buy a PS3. No, for it. So no. Yeah, so this is a a survival horror, uh, kind of a, a genre mashup game from a few years ago. Uh, came out in 2005 on Xbox and then PC in 2006, and uh, it's based on H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's The Shadow Over Innsmouth among some other stories. It also has um, some shades of the uh, tabletop version, the the Call of Cthulhu uh, Dungeons & Dragons Dice Master game. Right, right. The the company the, the company that made this is this company called Head First. And uh, they haven't they haven't done very much. You know, the only other game that they released was Simon the Sorcerer 3D. <laughs> and uh, but one of the other games they had in development was a game called Deadlands, which is another tabletop RPG card game. Right. And things. So it's obviously an area of interest for them. But uh, they, they went down the tubes and uh, went out of business. Yeah, they had trouble uh, because it took them six years to make a game, apparently. At least that's uh, that's how long it took Dark, Dark Corners of the Earth to even be released. Uh, it started development in 1999 um, when one of the developers started asking for design ideas on a Usenet forum and uh, went through several different uh, kind of studios and design iterations before it finally reached the form that it reached uh, when it launched in 2005. Right. Originally, this was supposed to be a uh, totally different game. I mean, they, they talked about, I read an interview with the, the, one of the developers, and he was talking about it was originally going to be a four-player kind of open-world game with like a deathmatch mode and have all these RPG elements. Each of your, you choose between four characters, and they'd all have different attributes, um, which couldn't be even you know any more different than really what happened. You know, instead, this is a, a pretty, uh, you know, pretty standard kind of adventure game. Um, it's very dark. It, uh, you know, and it's really close to the the subject material here. Um, you know, and the big big kind of mechanic in, in HP Lovecraft related gaming things is sanity as a as a game mechanic. So there are, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a above average adventure game and a below average shooter with this kind of color of um, you know sanity effects throughout the thing. So if you see things that are um, you know, otherworldly or, or mind breaking, um, you'll get, you know, the camera will blur and you'll hear voices and the sound will fade out and color will drain and, and kind of various things. Interestingly, it works in Jack's, the, the main character's phobias, 
um, because he is afraid of heights. So anytime you are uh, perched precariously atop some kind of beam or ledge, and if you accidentally look down, um, you know, things will start to get a little bit disorienting as he kind of mutters to himself. Right. And I, and I actually, that's one of my favorite details about this game is that um, the main character, uh, Jack Walters, who's this real hard boiled uh, kind of Raymond Chandler type, um, that he has this really bland phobia, you know, somebody who's being <laughs> being con- confronted by otherworldly horrors and, and eldritch monstrosities uh, is really scared of heights. And uh, it plays into the game, you know, and, and mostly really realistic, you know, kind of uh, appropriate moments as well. You, know, you run into a uh, this game was originally going to be part of a trilogy. So, uh, you know, had first had these plans for these other games. They're also going to do uh, another one based on At the Mountains of Madness which would have been fucking rad. Exactly. And, and I would have loved that, but unfortunately they did go out of business. Yep. Luckily, Bethesda came up and uh, bought the publishing rights to, to Dark Corners of the Earth, so we were kind of blessed with that. Yeah, so it didn't fade uh, into into obscurity, um, and it does have a certain measure of, of respect um, among you know gamers like us to this day um, as kind of this hidden classic, I guess. Right, and, and kind of part of the reason why this didn't break through and kind of related to... It uh, the the developer spending so much time in development, not being able to finish it, is it's kind of one of the buggiest games. It has this this reputation for just obscene levels of jankiness, and uh, that's a, a harsh criticism against the game. It's super, you know, entirely fair as well. Um, it's it's very it's very valid. You have to when you're playing this game, you really have to love it in spite of uh, of its shortcomings. But I think that we chose this, Gary, because its shortcomings are really interesting and it's worth talking about i think right absolutely and the things that it does right i think it does some things better than any other game i can think of right um you know so it's one of those things i kind of touched on a little bit in the last episode that i will cut a game a lot of slack if it lets me do things that i'm I'm unable to do in other games and uh, this is definitely a case of that what other game would let you ritualistically execute a fish man yeah absolutely you know or or just even this this bleak like i i i cannot think of a game quite this bleak um, so, I mean, this is really dark. I think the only game that really kind of uh, matches this game for bleakness would probably be Resident Evil 4, because, you know, both of these games put you in a lot of different situations where it makes you think you have some kind of hope and then takes it away. It says, nope, you've got a long way to go, right? Right, but even even Resident Evil 4 doesn't end with your character hanging himself. I mean, there's, there's, you, you don't win this game. Like no. it doesn't, you know, and that is very much in the spirit of, uh, you know, HP Lovecraft. Like you, you do not, you can accomplish a minor goal on your way to dying, um, which, which is kind of the philosophy behind this game. Right. Why don't you uh, talk to us a little bit about the plot, Cole? Okay. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot that happens in this game. Um, you, you cover a lot of ground um, you cover a lot of different genres um, in each of the different chapters. I'm going to give the too long, didn't read version of it um, just mm-hmm. because we'll hit most of the plot points when we talk about the individual chapters of each game. But, you know, you play as, as we mentioned, a, a private investigator named Jack Walters, who was kind of renowned for his um, psychic abilities. Almost. He has premonitions about cases. He's uh, said to have solved cases without any evidence. Um, so he's brought in, to investigate um, supernatural matters, and he's brought mm-hmm. in to investigate this cult of Yith in Boston, and that's where the game 
begins. And what he sees there uh, drives him mad, and he's locked away inside Arkham Asylum. Not the Joker Arkham Asylum, the, the, mm-hmm. the Lovecraft Arkham the Asylum. Original, original the original Arkham Asylum. The original one uh, for six years. So when he's released from this and he has complete amnesia about the six years, um, he takes on a missing persons case um, in the town of Innsmouth. Uh, while there, he uncovers a cult to Dagon, Hydra, and Cthulhu, uh, several gods from the H.P. Lovecraft universe, and works with the Bureau of Investigation to dismantle the uh, Marsh family, who who are behind the cult, uh, the Marshes being the uh, kind of rich industry barons of the town. Uh, throughout the entire process and throughout the, ga- the game, he defeats uh, Dagon, Hydra, and two flying polyp creatures uh, while stopping the summoning of Cthulhu, but he is driven mad in the process. After his suicide, uh, it's revealed that he was being manipulated by uh, the cosmic Yithians all along uh, with a callback to the uh, to the start of the game. And really this plot is bookended uh, by uh, Jack's final stay in, you know, in Arkham Asylum where he kills himself and uh, the events with the cult of Yith. We can maybe talk about this a little bit later, but it's interesting the way that the, the Yith kind of matters uh not to be confused with yith matters like every time i say let's say yith i i, I don't want anyone to think i'm just like a lisping furry but the the uh <laughs> the, the yith matters uh you know are, are i don't want to say they're tacked on because they're definitely not tacked on but they're not so integral to the plot the kind of insmith dagon hydra summoning cthulhu plot could almost do without them it adds some extra color but within the kind of mythology they're only kind of tangentially related can I posit a uh, a theory? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that Jack is only able to withstand what he is seeing because of his time and his relationship with the Yith. That could, I mean, that could definitely be. Um, <laughs> but but you're you know, right. You're right. I mean, this is this is kind of a, um, an assembled kind of homage to a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's work. Did uh, did the Yithians were they from the Shadow Out of Time? Yeah, yeah, that's where the uh, the Yithians come from. Okay. Just to confess, early on in the show, um, <laughs> I'm a pretty big H.P. Lovecraft fan. Uh, a couple years ago, I kind of got into that pretty deeply. So I, I can dork out about Mythos stuff pretty well, <laughs> if uh, if need be. And the, and the game is actually really respectful and, and pretty accurate with, with those things. I don't think there's very much that is, uh, you know, they don't take a lot of liberties with it, which is really cool. And that's actually kind of how I first you know, heard about the game or got exposed was I, I got into HP Lovecraft first and was searching around the internet and found out there was this game uh, based on his works and just pretty much had to have it. Um, I didn't have an Xbox at the time. So when it came out on Steam, I was I was overjoyed. I, I came across HP Lovecraft when I was in high school and I was into tabletop role playing. Um, and one of my buddies was telling you, know, you, you'd always talk about it. And we, we, we played a game of the Call of Cthulhu uh, desktop game and I went out and I got some anthologies of Lovecraft's work and this was really kind of before um, Cthulhu became a meme in, mm. in geek culture that's something that along with like you know oh, zombies and stuff I, 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 I see uh, a lot of references to Lovecraft and Cthulhu itself it really kind of annoys me because it misses a lot of the point yeah I, I agree and it's also you know I don't like it being lumped in with these things that uh you know, I'm kind of disdainful towards and something like, well, actually, my, the thing I'm into is cool. <laughs> you know, I, I just feel kind of, you know, kind of dorky being as into it as I am. But there is a lot of depth there. It's not, you know, there there is kind of more than a lot of things that, that get this kind of meme treatment. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it irritates me when I see it. You know, when I see a Cthulhu shirt on sale at Hot Topic, there are a lot of things at Hot Topic irritate me. But yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, Cthulhu shirts are definitely so. I I uh, you know uh, held off. You know, and I was just like, oh, these are stupid. I don't like any of these uh, these phrases or anything. And I finally found I found one that I liked and I bought. And it's a uh, it's got a just a picture of uh, like a boy and a sunset, and it just says relays for lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's it. Like there's no no other you know it doesn't say you know Cthulhu for president on the back end or anything like that. Yeah. So that was the you know I like things that are a little slightly more subtle. I have a Cthulhu plushie, which is uh, oh, which yeah. is really neat. Um, he sits next to, next to my Sonic the Hedgehog plushie, um, in my room. <laughs> <laughs> that's some some slash fic waiting to happen. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. We yeah we can. Uh, you know, if, if anyone listening to this wants to, wants to who who was turned on by that last statement, please stop. <laughs> if you're rock hard right now, um, <laughs> yeah, turn turn the turn the iPod off. Turn the iPod off and get cracking on that, yeah. please. <laughs> Fanfiction.gov. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got this game for my uh, Xbox. I played it solely on my 360 uh, for Christmas. Uh, the year uh, that it came out in 2005. Um, have fun asking your parents to get you Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> I pretty much had to write it down on a piece of paper. I was in high school and I played it with my uh, with my then girlfriend who was a huge survival horror nut at the time and it was a good time. I like the way you smile at me, baby. I like the view from here. And when you call me dear, I like the way you smile at me, baby. So baby, won't you smile? So the game starts, as we mentioned, in Boston uh, with Jack investigating this cult of uh, Yith. I almost said myth. This cult of Yith. And uh, it really kind of, the prologue outlines a lot of what you're going to see in the rest of the game. It's a it's a nice little almost thesis for, mm-hmm. for, for the majority of the game because it introduces, um, you, you know, the, the tone walking through these, you know, this derelict, you know, basically looks like a crack house, like a Victorian era crack house <laughs> as these... <laughs> As these insane craven cultists are, uh, are are taking pot shots at the police, and uh, you know it, it basically tells you, okay, you're going to be unlocking a lot of doors and you're going to be investigating a lot of things. It brings in the sanity effects really well. I feel like mm-hmm. um, as you're looking at these uh, at these you know paintings of uh, you know of, of eldritch, unfathomable uh, mm-hmm. landscapes, etc. Right, and not only, and not only that, but you also run into, you know, tons of, of dead cultists, you know, people have killed themselves. They really set the tone as being not only, uh, you know, about insanity, but also very dark. Um, initially, you know, you run into cultists who have all kind of group suicided. Uh, some of them are still alive, but there are ones that drink poison. You also immediately realize that you don't walk very fast. You don't jump very high and you don't get a gun. No. Nope. And, and for a first person game, that's very unusual. Um, so that was the first thing that kind of told me that this was going to be a little bit different right off the bat. The other thing that really this prologue brings out is a sense of paranoia. And that is such a, an important feeling to the game. I would say the paranoia along with probably revulsion is, Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things that this game is trying to evoke when you come across a, a room full of crazy uh, somebody with a beautiful mind has been watching you for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you come across this corkboard that just has pictures of you, um, newspaper clippings of cases that you've solved, and uh, kind of creepily a schedule, like your daily schedule yeah. on, on a board. So these people have been watching you, and you have no indication as to why this would be. 
initially. Yeah. And then it goes from being up inside the house and you crawl into kind of the catacombs, um, which uh, are, are very clearly used for a uh, very evil purposes, quote unquote, mm-hmm. what with, you know, people's organs being taken out of their bodies and being hooked up for no real reason that I saw aside from proving that they could. Yeah, you, you, you come across a, a man with his, his organs uh, removed from his body. He's essentially just kind of a shell. And his organs are all feeding into his body via tubes and are being kept alive. And perversely, kind of, again, setting the tone, like right on, yeah. you know, not bearing the lead. In order to move forward, you have to deactivate this machine and, ki- and kill this person. So, and you know, right off the bat, you're kind of culpable in ending whatever, you know, sad excuse for life this was. Mm-hmm. And then everything is all topped off with alien technologies as you open a portal to, uh, well, actually a time wormhole. Uh, You're the mythos guy, but you open a portal to the, to the, (laughs) to the world of the Yith and uh, you see these crazy creatures uh, kind of come out and then fade to black. Yep. And then, and then you, you've been in an asylum for six years. Um, You're back trying to get back to work and uh, you hear this, this missing person case, Uh, this, this guy named uh, Burnham, Brian Burnham, yeah. um, is the he works for a grocery store called First National in Innsmouth, and uh, his his boss or his district manager, which I, I worked <laughs> at a grocery store. My the guy who who is our district, uh, you know, kind of head of regional would never send a detective after <laughs> me. If if I died at that, that grocery store, he would have let me let me die. Um, but yeah, he sends you to go check out this town called Innsmouth, and it's a uh, an insular coastal town. There are rumors about the native. There's something called uh, natives. There's something called the Innsmouth look, which is just this kind of disease or contagion that people think the people in this town have because they're they're real nasty looking. Yeah, they kind of got these really big bulbous eyes and their voices. They kind of sound like they're drowning on dry land. You know, just not mm-hmm. not pleasant people. Uh, it's noted that the entire town smells like fish because there's a fish cannery there, and nobody really knows what they do because there are no businesses open um mm-hmm. and it's really just half the town that is that, that is like this that has the insmith look right yeah I mean, you, right you get to this um uh, during this chapter and you're kind of investigating and trying to you know find out uh find out what happened to the burnham lad and uh ask that the people in town no one no one is helpful we do come across a couple of sympathetic characters and it really implies that uh you know not everyone in this town has has gone over you meet a couple of very decent people and very innocent people and this uh, sort of leads to one of the more memorable sequences in the game. Um, there's a character named Wait, who's a, a shop owner, and uh, you you run into him, and uh, or you go to you go to his house, and he's not home, but his daughter's there, and uh, she says that you can you can wait for him there. No no pun intended on behalf of the daughter, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and it's already kind of a little little creepy, like she's uh, you know humming to herself in the way that you know creepy little girls do. And she's drawing this, you know, she's got, there's a picture where her, the picture of her mom has been torn out. Um, you know, and, uh, ultimately you, you end up going up to the attic and uh, just kind of exploring and, uh, lit, lit this creature out of the attic who, who murders this little girl. And, uh, you know, the implication or, you know, they, they outright kind of say it is that's the little girl's mom. You know, the, uh, she's starting to change. The people in this town are starting to change into these kind of like half people, half fish frog creature things. And that's kind of the turning point for Jack as well as a kind of a character. That one incident, it marks, you know, 
everything else that he does because all of his hallucinations center around this little girl. You know, she's an innocent person. Her husband is innocent, but he's taken this this kind of oath or you know made this deal with the devil. And, the third uh, oath of Dagon. Right, right. Which is essentially, you know, is agreeing to interbreed with these fish people. Yeah. You know, it's the, the, the monsters from the sea here are not just trying to kill us or infiltrate us. Uh, they want to, you know, pass on their next generation through us. They want our women. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the little girl who ends up dying, you know, if she hadn't died, uh, she would have turned into one of these fish frog people as well. And the dad, wait, he writes in his journal about like he thinks every day about killing her before she will, you know, <laughs> right, become right, her bright, mommy. Right. Yeah, right. Bright, bright and sunny stuff. Yeah, definitely. Fun fact. She's humming your suicide song. Yeah, I like you. the way you smile at me, baby. Yeah, but I, I, I got the soundtrack for this. So I will, <laughs> I will be able to cut that in Ooh, nice. at the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so ultimately, um, after, you know, kind of some more uh, trials in town, you know, you found what you can and you want to get out of here. After you see this little girl murdered, um, they're taking away the dad. They're going to hang him for it. Um, you want to get out of here. But uh-oh, the, uh, the bus is broken down. Yeah. One bus out of town. It's not going anywhere. And you are stuck in Innsmouth for the night, possibly the, the, the least uh, good thing that could happen to you. Uh, I loved this chapter. I really did. Walking around and talking to people, uh, the stealth that was involved in it didn't really feel that uh, contrived. It didn't feel that trial and error And just, again, the sense of paranoia as you hear people conspiring to mislead you in the streets. Right. Right. And you, you, and you come across um, it also it introduces a couple of interesting things. Um, one is this when you, when you start having your kind of visions from the perspective yes. of, uh, like a monster that's in town. So as you're walking around, you start kind of seeing things from their perspective. It also, there are a lot of just really great creepy set pieces. I mean, you come across some, a lot of remains of people and suicides. There's a part where you walk through the poor house. There's an Innsmouth house for the poor mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, they're P yeah, exactly. There are people who are dead or there are people who are dying. Uh, there are bugs everywhere. Um, there's one, I don't know if you noticed this because it's kind of a, an Easter egg, but there's kind of a side alley you can walk down on your way to the Waits house where there's a person in a gray robe kind of just, um, uh, kind of shaking back and forth and kind of moving slowly. And if you talk to them, you, you ask if they're okay and they, they don't do anything, but their face is entirely covered. You know, they're entirely covered by this. So th- I think the implication there is that they've kind of turned too far, uh-huh. that they're, they're, have already turned into a fish person. So, yeah, I, di- I didn't encounter that. That would have really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super, super creepy. Yeah. Um, you also get a lot of backdrop in this about the, the history of the town and the Marsh family in this chapter. Uh, you run into an old drunk named Zadok Allen who uh, kind of talks in exchange for booze, kind of talks you through it. And maybe the thickest accent I've ever heard <laughs> in a video game. <laughs> I don't even know what accent that is. That's not, nor- that's <laughs> not just... Northeastern. No, 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 no. Yeah, I have no idea. But he, he kind of walks you through it. At the end of the day, uh, you're tired, and you know the the place to lay your head. There's one hotel. It's uh, the Gilman Hotel. <laughs> Get it, Gil Man? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the Gil yeah, Men, the Gil Men's Hotel. Um, the guy who runs that is is extra creepy. But uh, you know, and even you you go into his back room and find diaries about him uh, killing previous inhabitants. In the annals of creepy video game notes, um, supplementary material that you find. Uh, around different video game worlds i think that this one very very narrowly edges out the itchy tasty uh yeah, note itchy, from resident evil 
Itchy Tasty's good, but this one, he's talking about, like, oh, I managed to get almost all of his bones out of his body before he died. Yeah, there's a part where he's talking about him trying to lift his arms after he's cut out his bones, and he can't do it, because, I mean, the detail, what it is, is it's not somebody who's insane. It's somebody who's still, uh, or they're in there insane, but not somebody who's animalistic. Right. Like, he's still a person, and it, it's so creepy. He talks about how he needs to wait until after they've eaten, like, wait a couple hours after they've eaten, because when he cuts open their guts, it smells bad. <laughs> like, this level of detail, like, there's just a weird kind of calculatingness to it that adds to the, the creep factor. Clinical. Yep. That's a good word for it. But Jack, he goes to sleep after reading this somehow, and... Uh... In the middle of the night, the fishmen come and knock him. Yep, and and thus instigating what I think is the the greatest sequence in survival gaming, survival horror gaming uh, that I I have played. It's my favorite part. It's uh, it's he you know he wakes up and you have to do this kind of hotel escape where you are going from room to room in the hotel, um, going out windows and frantically kind of trying to lock doors behind you, uh, push things in the way of doors to stop this pursuit. The whole sequence, when you do it right, only lasts about a minute, minute and a half. But you will try this many, many, many times before you get it right. It is really tough. And, you know, I knew what to do this time around. Um, but back when I first played it, I did not begrudge it the trial and error. I did not begrudge having to retry that because it didn't feel punishing to me. It felt the tension was still up and it was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? What's next? What's the next step? They're right there. Oh, no, I died. And mm-hmm. after I regain my composure, hitting restart, you know, it's very rare that a game will try my patience and uh, come out for the better. Right. And it's, you know, it's there's a couple kind of irritating design things. Like, I mean, there's an unskippable cutscene in the beginning of it. Yeah. It's not too long. It's maybe about, you know, 30 seconds long, but you are going to watch it a lot. Um, the precision of, you know, you have to be right on the, uh, the kind of... Uh, clasps to close the door the bolts otherwise you'll fling it right. wide open hey guys right. come on in yeah exactly i exactly. made a cheese plate yeah <laughs> um but it's just it's it's first of all it's straight out of the book and it's also it's a really good example of something this game does and we'll talk about this in a later chapter as well but this kind of pursuit as a game mechanic i love the feeling of being chased and it doesn't happen very often in games it doesn't know? happen enough in this game I don't think yeah, I would, I, love I would it. agree with that too. I would love it if 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 that if this exact situation came up because it's so compelling and most people that you talk to who have played this game, this is what they cite as like the the kind of the watershed moment, the defining moment for this game. Mm-hmm. I I would agree with that. Um, there's a nice little detail too as you're escaping, uh, and I know this is another kind of Easter egg thing. This for the second time, the first time I played through, I played through vanilla on PC. The second time, I installed a mod that allowed me to save everywhere. And also increased my walking speed a little bit and oh, jumping yeah. height, um, which is definitely cheating. But, it, you know, getting through the game for the story, I would recommend doing this. Um, so I could I had a little bit of time to kill. There's a room you run through where there is a, a woman who's completely changed into <laughs> one of the fish creatures who's cowering in the corner wearing a nightgown. And she's terrified of you. And it's, su- it's such an awesome moment because, like, you when properly you just run through and you just see it out of the corner of your eye. And you're just like, what was that? And this time I stopped and kind of stared her down, you know, and she's scared of me. And I was just thinking, well, you know, I'm going to come back and kill everybody in this town. You know, I'm going to I'm going to you know, wipe this whole place off the earth. You should be scared of me. It was a nice little like fuck you moment after <laughs> uh, having the bejesus, you know, taken out of me the entire preceding section. It's a nice little moment of levity almost because she's like she, she she's just like any like mid 50s 
kind of oh, oh dear <laughs> she, she saw she a mouse like from uh uh what is it all in the family Archie. yeah yeah <laughs> um that's exactly what she seems like but you you know eventually you do escape and you kind of have a less compelling part where you're running through warehouses afterwards but ultimately end up escaping into the sewer right yeah at this point yeah you know, I, I actually I like the warehouses section and I like this whole chapter, everything up to where you get the weapon, because, you know, so many games are about empowerment. This game takes us so long to gratify you with the ability to fight back that, uh, you know, it builds up that tension. It builds up that paranoia that you would think that it would be more rewarding when you did finally get a weapon. But I never really felt it. And the and the stealth, the stealth worked enough to where this game would have been stronger if it was more of a central aspect in my in my mind. I, I I totally agree. I mean, I think that you know playing it again, the uh, the parts where you do get the the weapons are not as bad as I remember them being, but it uh, it would have been stronger for without it. And the kind of word I always use for this kind of thing is disempowerment fantasy, where uh, you know it's fun because it's a little bit closer to reality. You know, I, I if I were being pursued by by fishmen, mm-hmm. I would run like like hell. You know, if I was in a creepy haunted sewer, as, as we're going to the next part, I would run like hell. You know, I wouldn't necessarily have like 10 different types of guns of increasing caliber <laughs> to, to, you know, to fight back yeah. with. And I don't know how to use a gun. I don't, you know, it just it felt there's kind of a, that extra identification that comes with this kind of game. Yeah. So the sewers, um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they say there's Shoggoths in, in their parts. Yeah, there's, there's kind of a hillbilly who warns you and says, uh, you know, have you ever hear tell of a Shoggoth? And you don't you don't run into it yet, but it's kind of nice foreshadowing because you do run into it later. Because there's no context for what a shoggoth is if you're not aware of what a shoggoth is, um, and you just right. see is that is that a shoggoth? And you're always on edge, like, am I going to see it? What's this corrosive material? You know, why are these just skeletons sitting here? And it, and it, and it you know it, it it does the classic horror movie thing of never showing you the monster and just kind of letting you make it up around every corner. Right, and also there's the added layer of this is something that the the inhabitants of this town are scared of. Yeah, like what are, what are these fish murderers? <laughs> what actually scares them? And it's it's a shoggoth. Yeah, so that's really neat. And throughout throughout this entire you know sewer and warehouse and uh, the the water towers, this whole chapter, I got shades of Half Life through it. Did you? Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I would agree. In that, you know, there, there's lots of climbing and navigation puzzles, trying to move your way from one place to another. Um, and it works, I, I, I feel. And I, and I think this is definitely kind of where that exploration mechanic, uh, kind of just figuring out how to proceed, works a lot better than it does kind of in the end game. Yeah. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Uh, so at this point, you know, you escape the sewers and you found out that the Burnham lad is being held in jail. He's going to be sacrificed. And this is kind of the turning point in the game because you, this is where you gain the ability to to fight back. And, uh, you know, it, not coincidentally is kind of a dip in quality yeah. for it as well. At this point and in my, in, in my playthrough here, since I knew where the weapons were stored... Um, front room of the police house in the cabinet um i just made a break for them and grabbed the guns and cleared out all of the enemies because the sequencing in this is very unreliable and it's not quite clear where you're supposed to go or what you're supposed to do and this i feel is where their budget ran out for bug testing because getting people to follow you and getting the event flags to trigger 
um, that was more difficult and required more saving and reloading um, than, I'd say, until the later part of the game with the combat. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, this is the first time I ran into, you know, this game is very buggy. First time I ran into a, kind of a serious bug where I couldn't, you have to show Brian a postcard so that he'll come along with you. And I just, whenever I uh, attempted to do so, Jack would tell me it wasn't the time for it. Um, but it was what, you know, that's, that's the time for it, Jack. Yeah. This is exactly what I need <laughs> exactly. to do. Um, you know, I, I double checked game facts. This is the time for it, Jack. You know, so that was really frustrating. But what's kind of, you know, this is where the gameplay starts to take a dip. But there's still tons of really neat kind of creepy moments in this part that you can kind of still tell that the art direction and the story are still going strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part where you eavesdrop on two police officers on your way into the jail. And they're talking about the chief of police. And one of them is griping about how the chief of police should be out helping them look for you, um, which is kind of an awesome, just real blue collar moment. Like, what's he doing up, setting up there? Yeah, he should be down here helping us. And the other one says, you know, his his eye, he's getting to the point now where he can barely blink. He'll take to the water soon. Um, and when you go up to his room, there are strips of skin like around his sink. Like, it's real, you know, these people are transforming. It's a really cool moment. There's a, you also, you run into a wait from earlier who is being held in jail and who slit his own wrist or slit his own throat rather. It looks like, yeah. and, uh, you know, which is real neat. And you also run into a prisoner who refuses to take the third oath of, of Dagon, but has also gone crazy. Yeah. So there's a lot of good color in this chapter, but the game just starts to kind of fall apart. Yeah. And at no point does the game so spectacularly fall apart more than when you are in the back of a truck firing at the townspeople as you speed away in something that would be better fit into a James Bond movie than, uh, than yeah, an H.P. Lovecraft a, game. It's a real terrible kind of moment in the game, and it, it simulates what it might really be like to be in a moving vehicle hurtling away from this town, you know, not being trained in firearms. But it doesn't make it any more fun, and it doesn't make it any you know easier. It's really tough just to survive this because you have so little control over how well you do you know, what, what impact you have on people shooting at you. And this seems like as good a time as any to talk about the damage system in this game and uh, oh, yeah. how punishing it is. And it's realistic, and it's a very interesting um, experience, I think, playing it. It's very similar to Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, the Snake Eater, mm-hmm. where you have to uh, apply splints and uh, sutures and things to various parts of your body. So basically it models damage across all four of your limbs. And so if, you're, if your leg breaks, then you just have kind of this really... Dun, 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 dun kind of walk as you drag yeah. your leg behind you and it makes a real sickening Ugh, noise it's like a squelching like it, it, yeah it sounds disgusting like when you're walking around on a broken leg it sounds like very painful jelly but mm. <laughs> but uh, uh the, the the bad thing is you know it takes time to heal yourself so you press the quick heal button and and jack gets down with his little first aid kit and applies the stuff and you know you don't get better right away like, it, right. it, it takes a while for you to, you know, to stop bleeding and for the world to go back into full color and, you know, back up to full speed. And nowhere is this more untenable than when people are constantly firing at you when you have very little cover. Right. And it, and it's just, again, it's, it's strength of simulation <laughs> and kind of loses the game. You know, obviously trying to apply a splint in the back of a moving vehicle <laughs> while trying to hold off, you know, fishmen shooting you. That's awesome. You know, that's a cool scene. It'd be hard as shit. It's really tense, mm-hmm. but they just they they need to err a little bit more on the side of game on the game spectrum as opposed to kind of story or immersion. Yeah. So you come out the other side of the of the car chase. You have to rescue Burnham's uh, girlfriend, who she's a fishwoman, right? 
Um, she, yeah, she's an Innsmouth native. She is going to turn into a fish woman eventually, yes. So it's kind of like, I wish that they would have put in some kind of like Mass Effect style negotiation system where you could say, listen, um, we're going to let her die in that fish cannery. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, instead of, you know, because, yeah, Brian is being ridiculous at this point. Um, you know, he, this is maybe, you know, this is one of the weakest points in the game. He drops you outside the factory uh, or the cannery and immediately there are already fishmen converging on your location. So there's really no way to get cover before they show up. And uh, he's not willing to go anywhere until you rescue her. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, you're young. You're going to meet you're going to meet other uh, half human hybrids. There are plenty of fish women in the sea. OK, <laughs> yeah, perfect. I, I'm glad you took it. I was trying to say I'm you sorry. Up for <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad I'm glad you took it. Uh, it would have been awkward if you didn't. The um, so yeah, so this is kind of this is a bad kind of run and gun. You can kind of stealth your way through it, but it's not very strong. And likely, no matter how many save files you keep, you will be out of um, first aid kits at this point, and you will just be hoping and praying that they miss you enough that you can make it to the end of the chapter before uh, you bleed out. Right, kind of hilariously, I you know I done this uh, this cheat on the game that increased my jump height, which is really hand, handy for those uh, platforming parts. But it means that your jump is literally like a centimeter off from fall damage. <laughs> so if you jump if you jump off of like a, a, a pallet onto the floor, that's enough for you to take enough damage to break your leg. So <laughs> so I was fine on medkits on everything except for splints. And I ended up kind of finishing this level out, you know, walking out on two broken legs, you know, like barely escaping. Which, was, again, was kind of cool, yeah. but also really frustrating. Yeah. And, and this is the point where I really wish I was playing on PC as opposed to on um, Xbox. Uh, just because, you know, if I was playing PC, I could do a little boop, 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 boop console command to lower my difficulty or to do something like that in order to get to right. see the next cool set piece, which is what this game is, as opposed to constantly reloading. You know, by the end of this game, I think my play clock said something like seven hours, you know, 30 minutes or so. I probably spent about double that playing this game because there were multiple places, including this one, where I did things, you know, three, maybe four or five times. Right. It's very it's a very difficult game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as kind of a pro tip, if, if you're inspired to pick this up by this podcast, uh, if you can play it on PC, do so. It's cheaper and you can, you know, just search, you can find the patch for it. Um, but also play it on the easiest difficulty. You're not hurting anything doing it. You'll still get the story. You'll still get all the awesome set pieces. Um, you'll just save yourself some frustration. And it's this thing where there are lots of people who miss the point of a survival horror game and they say, oh, this is fun because I'm going to be killing monsters and I'm going to run through it as quickly as possible and I'm going to get the A rank. And just like that's the least fun part about this kind of experience. I don't care if it's Resident Evil. I don't care if it's Silent Hill, all of which are great games, including this one. The fun part is the story and the tension. Right. It's got the haunted house appeal. Like, I really like haunted houses. And the reason I like them isn't because of things that jump out and scare me. It's because I like walking into macabre and terrifying uh, environments. Like, they're kind of having this little story told by the environment that is really unnerving. So um, as you, you know, you eventually you escape from the uh, the cannery situation and you run into uh, some federales <laughs> who, uh, you know, you, you wake up in, in an asylum. Um, and I'm sure you guys all predicted this. Um, being tortured by J. Edgar Hoover, um, <laughs> like that, that J. Edgar Hoover, the one that's, uh, you know, soon to be in a major motion picture. Um, J. Edgar Hoover in this game, I think, is kind of almost worthy of like a whole podcast in and of himself. Ooh. Like he, he is he's he acts really weird. I'm not in the business of making requests, Jack. Yeah, he's he's, he's real hard boiled, <laughs> but insanely so. 
and very cavalier about human life. Um, <laughs> He's a federal <laughs> agent. He knew what he was getting into. Uh, he was yeah, just dissolved yeah. <laughs> by acid. Um, yeah, later you run into a guy whose skin has been dissolved off, who's writhing in floor, uh, writhing in pain on the floor. And J. Edgar Hoover is like jabbing a gun at him, being like, tell us, tell us what you found. <laughs> And he's just screaming. <laughs> he's like, he can't understand the situation he's in. It's almost like he's on the spectrum. He's, he's got like, <laughs> the spectrum. Like he's, like, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, he's so weird. So, it's, you know, essentially, like, what he does is he, he uh, he's like a press gang. Like, he presses you into service yeah. in, uh, to uh, take down the marshes. Yeah, because, uh, like we said, the Marsh family, they own this refinery in town. And, you know, they think that there's some kind of organized crime going on because they got all this gold and there's no way to account for it. So there's really, you know, Digger Hoover is a maniac and psychopath in this game. And he's, he's a noted eccentric um, you know, in real life, like if you, you know, look at his Wikipedia page, like I did, you know, he was a very driven, a very, uh, a very broken individual. Um, mm-hmm. He was also a crossdresser. Those two things are not related, you know, whatever. It's cool. But <laughs> you have to wonder if this is the game developers trying to retcon his history to explain his latter day strange behavior. <laughs> like he was so broken by his time in Innsmouth that he, you know, turned to eccentricity as in order to cope. Immediately after playing this game, I went upstairs and wore my wife's underwear. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was, it was the only only sane reaction in an insane it world. It was my only recourse. Yeah, what I what I feel like is more likely to be the case, and it kind of draws a line under another flaw um, in this game, um, is that it's kind of part of the weird immersion disconnect that comes from seeing all this insane stuff, having that being important to the story, but also having this noir skin mm-hmm. to the game. Um, your character is constantly. Um, you know, if he's freaking out, he's having a sanity effect, he's hearing voices, he sounds scared. And then you walk up to something that's terrifying, like a corpse or, you know, a guy who's been dissolved. And uh, sometimes you'll react just like, you know, he's seen better days. You know, <laughs> you, you, just, you sound so confident. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and it, it goes back and forth kind of between those two things in a really, you know, kind of immersion shattering way. Where is this man's head? Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's yeah, that's all exactly. the inflection. That's all of the emotion that he puts into it. You know, you just saw something horrible. This machine must be, must have been used to purify the gold. Yeah, there's a there's a moment. So we you know uh, just kind of going into it, Hoover presses you to to raid this refinery, and you get in and you're exploring it, and it's a fairly for the most part kind of just a boring you know find the valve, find the button kind of kind of part. Felt like padding. Um, Right, it's, it's padding. Um, and it kind of it climaxes. Um, you run into a Shoggoth, finally. And uh, it's you know, I feel like it's pretty much lives up to, to its reputation. It's this giant amorphous uh, slime monster. Um, it has eyeballs all over it. It's real creepy. Um, after dealing with it initially, um, you know, I went out into the hallway, and I'd just gone through this whole thing. My, my sanity effects are going crazy. My guy's, you know, he's hearing voices, and I... I touch one of these bins and my guy's just like this probably hasn't been used for years <laughs> like he's, he's like just like disgusted by the fact that the refinery is not being efficient or using its material correctly it's ridiculous shades of ridiculous. shades of ford but <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely this 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 whole refinery level i mean it, it is justified by the shoggoth material the, by the shoggoth encounter because the only thing they could you know neutralize this otherworldly monster is industrial machinery so i get it and i understand that it's all leading up to that but these kind of gray industrial hallway after hallway 
that's kind of the gray goo that all video game levels revert to after the inspiration runs out, you know? Right. And it also, it has the, you brought up this point, um, you know, it has this, that, uh, you know, peanut butter and dog shit uh, to, you know, one good taste and one bad taste <laughs> that tastes terrible together thing of having uh, respawning enemies and not respawning resources. <sighs> so it's filled, this whole place filled with fish men, but um, you can, you know, if you're killing every one of them, which I like to do, like I like to kill everybody and explore at my leisure yeah. when I'm playing stealth games. Um, but you, you're kind of punished for doing that in this game because people will come back and you will run out of ammo. Yeah. And all you're left to do is just sedately wander and remark about the purpose of machinery while you're looking right, while, exactly. while you're looking for ammo pickups. Exactly, and and health pickups, yeah. and it kind of further uh, increases this golf between gameplay and story because the gameplay suffers here immensely, but the story and the atmosphere are really great. Like the Shoggoth encounter is you know one of my favorite encounters in the game. After you initially deal uh, deal with him. The uh, you know he chases you through you know a set of ventilation pipes and through doors, and again it's that pursuit as game mechanic. You, you if you turn back to look at him, you will die. That, that will take up too much time. So all you can do is hear this kind of place crumbling around around you and hear its you know unhuman moans <laughs> behind you as you just run as fast as you can, and you literally have to run. You, know, you have to do it perfectly to survive, you know more or less. And it's a great encounter. As you're crawling through those ventilation shafts, as it's compressing the shaft behind you. It's a it's a great you know it's a it's a really great uh, moment, and it also culminated in uh, one of the selling points of this game that's kind of neat is if you're too insane, if you're going through uh, too much san- insanity effect, then you will uh, your character can kill himself. Um, if you are you know if you uh, un- get out your gun yeah. while you're you know at critical sanity levels, so I'm running away from the Shagath. I fall down out of the vent. I break both my legs and I need to make it to this elevator. So your character is equipped with an unlimited supply of morphine because it's the twenties <laughs> and, and, that, and that's how it works. And through the whole game, I wasn't sure exactly what morphine would do. I figured that it would neutralize pain, but there's a warning that says that it may affect your sanity. So I take the morphine and I can walk on these broken limbs. No problem. Make it to the elevator. But the elevator is rising up. It's exploding. You can hear the Shagath all around you. And that, coupled with the morphine, my vision starts blurring intensely, and uh, my character shoots himself in the head uh, on the way up this elevator, which is exactly what I would do in that situation. Exactly. Um, you know, and it was actually awesome. Like it was a really cool moment. Yeah. You know, of weird inadvertent role playing. Yeah. No, that's that. That's really cool. The place where I uh, killed myself. That's kind of kind of dark. The place where Jack killed himself <laughs> uh, for me was in the shrine to Cthulhu where uh, Cthulhu was sending his space rays to you. And right. uh, I knew how to solve the puzzle, but uh, the game glitched and I couldn't push the gem to get the angle reflection uh, right. So I just figured, well, I might as well have Chad kill himself. And I saw it because otherwise it had never happened to me. And I heard that it was a possibility. It mentions it in the loading screens, but uh, mm-hmm. that's the only place that I ever had it happen to me. So that's cool. I never use the morphine. No, there's not very much reason to use it. Um, you know, you could have used it when you were escaping. We were talking about getting uh, away from the cannery, yeah. And you, you know, your character, like you would have been able, it would have given you kind of a stay of execution, be able to move, you know, operate normally while doing that. But it's also, you know, apparently not really worth the risk yeah. because your character will shoot himself yeah. in the head. They put morphine and Coca Cola back in those days. Yeah, and anybody who drank it shot themselves yeah. in the head. <laughs> and it's it's a dirty Coca Cola's dirty secret. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you find that shrine you're talking about kind of in the bottom of the, uh, you know, they capture Marsh. They send you down to the basement level. Um, you fight some, fight the Shoggoth a little bit more. 
and you find that shrine um ultimately kind of ending that level and uh you you, you go with some military to actually assault the mansion um where the, the marshes live the the um, assault on the esoteric esoteric order of dagon where this goes from uh, where this goes from survival horror game to charging alongside Marines, just like the Call of Duties. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's Call of Duty, like 1920 <laughs> National Guard edition. You know, there's no wars on. We've sent our worst and our dimmest uh, to fight <laughs> to fight these fish people mansion, and you're right along with them, and it's really Call weird. of Duty. <laughs> yeah, Call of Duty. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, so you eventually, uh, you know, you go with the, these military people, you go through a really inane uh, frozen lake sequence and through a system of caves, um, you know, fighting some various monsters. And there's still some kind of good atmosphere, but you can feel it kind of draining. Um, you can literally feel the effort kind of, you know, bottoming out. It's like sitting in a bathtub while it, it drains, <laughs> you know, um, you're just getting heavier as the, as the, the inspiration is going down. Uh... Um, it kind of culminates in this mansion level that's really pretty bland. Um, not much to recommend that. Uh, there's nothing really eventful that happens. I mean, you have to get Mackie to work a crank for you, which is okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, and eventually, you know, the crank, you get to go uh, down into the basement. Um, you fight some some fishmen wizard creatures. Oh, yeah. It's kind of the first, like, boss fight where you can fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's that's fine. Like, that's a neat point. And eventually, so you're crawling along and you fall through the, the a floor of a cave, right? That's how we, because the next chapter is when you're on the boat. I'm not clear how you get on the boat. I know that you're <laughs> yeah, you're you... swept away to sea after after some sorcerers launch very slow-moving energy spheres at you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. so you do get to watch out for fireballs in oh, this yeah. game. I, um, I, you know, my first instinct when I see those slow-moving energy spheres is to take out the crowbar and try and whack it back at them. Like a... Yeah, yeah, or the Link's net, like Link's Awakening, or <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like any number of games. Um, instead, you just if if uh, if it does hit you, instead it just scratches your face, uh, breaks your leg, and gives you a, a laceration on your yes. side if you actually just get hit. <laughs> so, um, but you you as after you you do this, you're kind of learning a little bit more of the lore, and eventually get swept to sea. I think you fall um, through a trap door into the ocean, and are picked up by the uh, SS. Do you remember the name? Uranium. of the ship? Urania, uh, the SS Urania, who are um, on their way to Devil's Reef. That is the the uh, island where the Marsh family originally made their deal with uh, the Fishmen. Not, you know, it's no no coincidence that it's called Devil's right. Reef. Um, so that is where they, uh, you know, were set out with their Faustian deal, and you were on your way there with a, a crew of of hardy sailors. And this is where the game proves that repairing a ship's engine is more difficult than obliterating a demigod of pure evil. Yeah, there, there's a real, real obnoxious, you know, the fishmen, you know, it starts out fine. You know, fishmen start kind of boarding the ship and you have to fight them off. And, you know, they're seemingly endless. Until and picking them off is kind of fun because, again, you know, this is one of those rare instances where a game like this gets better when it empowers you. But, you know, you right. feel kind of like a badass and you're protecting the entrance and you're trying to keep your, you know, your fellow Marines or Coast Guard men from dying. Um, and that yep. actually has a bearing on your completion score. If you're a completionist, you pro right, fool which, you. you. 
<laughs> which you shouldn't be. Um, what's kind of neat too is that uh, this is the you know Dagon and the the Order of Dagon are kind of throwing everything at you, and it's really neat the way it kind of comes in waves. So initially yes. they're they're just sending their their yes yes um, sending their uh, their ground troopers at you, and you fight them off. And then they have some warlocks on the beach who start manipulating the water and sending huge tidal waves your way. And that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is really cool. I had a, a, a game-breaking glitch, and a lot of people will on the PC, where when you go to the ship's gun and try to shoot these these warlocks, um, they do not appear mm. in the, the zoomed-in version of the gun. So I recommend, um, you know, if you do get to that point point, you're playing PC, either go online and find a, a picture of where you need to shoot and just shoot in that general direction, or uh, download a save file that's right after it. There's no shame in doing that to get past it. The first time I played, I just kind of did trial and error until it worked. <laughs> the second time, I did not have the patience for that. But the scale of those waves that they throw at you, the fact that you watch, like your point of reference is the moon, and you watch as the bow of the ship goes fully perpendicular, and you're looking right, right. up at the moon, and then it comes crashing down. The sense of scale to that. Uh, that makes th- that small part for as buggy as it is feel like one of the more potent set pieces in the game. Yeah, it's real neat. You know, you have to hang on when the waves hit. And that's, you know, if you don't, you're going to stumble around and, and break your legs and, and possibly fall off the Most ship. Most assuredly die. And that's really cool. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, afterwards, you know, you go and you do this, you go to repair the ship's engine. You know, there's some some other detail. And ultimately... Uh, Dagon decides to stop sending his his foot soldiers against you, stop sending magic waves, and actually attack the ship. And this is also one of the coolest set pieces in the game, one of the coolest boss it's fights. It's a really cool boss fight in that it's not a pure puzzle, you know, fight. You have to lure him to the front of the gun, and and that's it. Mm-hmm. But getting him to do that and avoiding his his grasp, it's a real David and Goliath moment kind of thing. Yeah, he's he's huge. Like, he's ridiculously huge. And, and, you know, we're like big bosses are something that everyone likes in all video games, but something about being so unempowered throughout this whole game and then coming against something like this kind of added to the effect for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's ultimately, the, you know, there's not really a pattern, but you kind of look and see what he does and then just react accordingly. It's not very tough, but it is really, it's just very fun and very epic. It's also where the game should have ended. <laughs> it would have been a good spot to end. Um, Instead, though, um, you you end up at uh, Devil's Reef. You finally make it there, and I think you point this out. It kind of turns into Zen, just a little bit from Half Life One. Just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's this weird change of pace. It's almost like a breather level in that there's no combat in it. You're just kind of wandering around these craggy cliffs, trying to avoid death traps and uh, run through mazes. I think it's it's a it's a maze level um, and a puzzle level. Um, with lots of platforming as well, yeah. which, you know, again, if you're playing this unpatched, is pretty tough with your super slow movement speed and low jump. But uh, it is it is a nice change of pace. And, uh, you know, ultimately, though, kind of worthless. All you're really doing is doing it to get into the final yeah. level. It also has one of the most frustrating sequences in the game where you're trying to uh, work your way around this bend in a cliff. And there are these handholds that you can hold on to as the waves come up and get you problem is you know with as spotty as the targeting is especially on a 360 pad um latching onto those handholds it's not exactly that easy and uh, right. i counted it i reloaded 32 times that's yeah <laughs> 32 times folks and yet we're still recommending this game. <laughs> um so 
the uh, ultimately, you know, if you're able to get past that and you don't uh, get the secret second ending of uninstalling <laughs> Dark Corners of the Earth, then you uh, you end up in something called the air-filled tunnels. And this is an area um, underground. It's, uh, you know, you don't necessarily know this at the time, but this was an area that the Yithians used to live in. This is the, the, uh, the when the Yithians were on Earth, they had these tunnels. But the, the uh, Order of Dagon has taken this over and are, are living there. The government is shelling the city with uh, torpedoes, and it's your job to, in a very roundabout way, find a way to take down their force field. They have a magic force field. Mm -hmm. And this level is a goddamn marathon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is the longest level of the game by far, and I think the worst one. I think this is the worst design level. There's some some neat things that happen in it, but uh, it's very hard to know which way to go. It's very hard to tell one passage from another, um, and it just lasts forever. You know, you, you have your weapons, you get your weapons taken away, you got to get your weapons back. Like, it's this really long, epic, kind of ridiculous uh, ordeal. And there are spots of genius in it. The problem is getting from one to the other. The prison, like the right. prison sequence, like goading the, the, the chained up deep one into, you know, making noise so that, you know, the, the guards will leave you alone <laughs> is is, is mm-hmm. cool. The fight with Sebastian Marsh is, is really yeah. good, too. I like that. A knife fight with Darth Vader as a general manager of a Red Lobster, you know? <laughs> totally, totally, yes. As a general managing Red Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, um, you know, that, that's really cool. Um, when you find the lab... Um, you know, where they're experimenting with new forms of plant life. It's really cool. They've been mutating. There's like a half human, half, uh, another half human, half fish hybrid, but not the regular, no, no. like a, like a, like a different kind that, you know, is, gives you the whole traditional kill me speech, but it's really cool, you know, when it happens. So there are neat parts, and, but ultimately I think this is the worst. Part there's this interesting subplot with that laboratory. I think it was revealed sooner, but the reason that the federal government is interested in Innsmouth is because apparently the marshes have been shopping around this contagion to other world forces uh, for like biological yeah. warfare, which is a bizarre plot point for this game to have. And it's, and it, it's really, it's really the only point where it really strongly deviates from, from the source material. Like that is not a Lovecraftian idea. You know, I feel like they had to maybe justify um, the, you know, the government's presence. Maybe they felt they needed to do that a little bit stronger. But this is totally an invention of the game and is really kind of an afterthought. Yeah. So this chapter kind of climaxes in a deep, dark chasm on a narrow platform where you fight polyps. The one danger that can be found in deep tunnels in the earth and deep tunnels in your bowels, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, dark corners of the, of the colon. Uh, you find the flying polyps. Um, it's also, I, I just, I don't know why this is called, it's called the air-filled tunnels. Like, I, aren't, if a tunnel's not filled with air, like, isn't it, I mean, I guess it could be a water-filled tunnel. Magma-filled tunnel. But yeah. why do you, why do you need to, you know, emphasize that? Like, there's a word for it, it's cave. <laughs> you know, or if you just say tunnel, I'll just assume that, you know, it's not just regular ground. And it, I think it's neat because it's it's saying that this is far below the ocean floor. And the only thing right. keeping you alive, the only, the only thing making this hospitable is this ancient magic that is keeping all the water out. Right, right. You know, these these polyps that you fight, you later find out that these are the, the ancient enemies of the, the Ithians. So when the Ithians used to live here, they eventually uh, drove these polyps even further underground. But unfortunately, even further underground is where you need to go to get to uh, Hydra and actually shut off the force field. So you go on this this narrow bridge and end up fighting two of these things, and it's a very frustrating uh, boss fight. 
Um, what was your experience with that? My experience was I had to look on a fact to find the exact right place to stand to where I wouldn't be blown off. <laughs> right. They fight. Their weapon is, is game frustration. <laughs> like they, they, they have weaponized frustration. They, they essentially uh, just, they don't hurt you directly. All they can do is they control air and they established this earlier, um, but they just are trying to push you off of the cliff. And uh, it makes for a frustrating boss fight. Luckily, uh, moments beforehand, you found the uh, BFG of uh, Dark Corners of the yeah. Earth, which is a, a Yithian super weapon. Which, it's really fun because you can charge it up like Mega Man and it has unlimited aim. And the only real downside to it is that you can't use any kind of iron sights. Right, right. So, you you know, you eventually you use this to fight the polyps. It's a tough battle. Uh, they take several fully charged shots. Um, and event- and the, the shooting, when you charge up the gun... It charges up to a point, but if you charge it too long, it kind of misfires. So you really have to know the sweet spot to let go. And you can't leave the gun charged and then aim it to look for the polyp. You really have to it's be more intentional than that. Yeah. Which, it's a good it's a good balance, um, especially by that mm-hmm. point in the game. Um, you just have to mm-hmm. look at the little infinity symbol on the side of the gun. Pro tip, when it, when it starts to turn red, <laughs> fire. Um, <laughs> right. And then you were talking about your theory, kind of, um, you know, Jack being possessed by the Ithians being the only reason he could handle this. It's also a good reason why he can use the gun. Like, it's alien technology, but he's been in a, you know, he's been on Yith. Well, he's not just cyclically linked to the Ithians. If you get the good ending, like the, the, the complete ending, you find out that through some kind of cosmic fuckery, Jack is half Yithian. Right. A, a Yithian was possessing his father moments before conception. <laughs> um, so he's actually got, he's not quite human, he's not quite Yithian, and uh, thus he can he can use these weird weapons and look at Shoggoths without, uh, you know, immediately having his brain melt. And his entire purpose becomes clear because he was sent back forward in time in order to get rid of these polyps as kind of an advanced boarding party for the Yithians to start mindjacking people on Earth. Which sounds like the plot of an entirely different game. <laughs> because because like, there's just so little of that that's followed up upon. Yeah. You know, it's neat, but really your your main point of conflict is the, the esoteric order, order of Dagon. Yeah. So you, you all after you fight these these polyps, you, you find uh, Mother Hydra, who's the the end boss of the game. Um, very empowering towards women. She's a, a big, disgusting, gray, four breasted fish man. And the way you defeat her is really weird and counterintuitive. Did you were you able to figure this out on your own or did you use the Internet? I think I puzzled out how to um, hijack the deep ones because you keep on getting visions from Hydra's perspective of you standing in the in the in the pool area. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I figured out by looking at the gong, he says, like, oh, it'd be really difficult to really difficult to concentrate if you had this happening well, whatever. And then he says, Oh, I can't concentrate with all this noise. So you have to deafen yourself by hitting the gong that's downstairs with a fully charged blast. I got that. I didn't get that. You had to fire the Yithian lightning cannon into the water to electrocute Hydra. You know, if I knew that was the case, I would have just had Jack pick up a toaster back in Innsmouth. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and just yeah, see, so yeah, it's <laughs> you kind of defeat this, uh, you know, god, and and Dagon and Hydra are are gods, but they're also kind of just really old old ones, so they're not you know alien, they're not Cthulhu, but you you defeat them really just essentially by an unpopular form of suicide <laughs> and electrocuting the water. Um, you know, it's a pretty tough it's a pretty tough sequence I thought to figure out. Um, it's not very intuitive. It's not a hard sequence because you have the Ithian super gun, so at no point I really feel like I was in danger during this. 
but uh, just figuring it out is kind of the tough part. And it, it's a little bit of an anticlimax, I would say. Like, it's neat. It's a neat mechanic. This idea of deafening yourself to, to concentrate is really cool. But other than that, I didn't feel like it was as epic as any of the other boss fights in the game. I kept on expecting to see Cthulhu in this game. And I understand that ultimately the Marsh family and the Esoteric Order were trying to summon Dagon. Or not Dagon. Or summon. I understood that they were trying to summon Cthulhu. But uh, mm-hmm. come on, give us the give us what we came to see. Yeah, <laughs> and it's all well. I mean, it was part of a trilogy. Yes. So I think originally, um, the, the we talked about that one that's based on uh, Mountains of Madness. But the other one I felt like was a stronger Cthulhu tie. Okay. You know, he was going to end up in it. But still, it would have been it would have been nice. Even though I do kind of like him, just kind of haunting, like having a haunting presence throughout yeah. the game. You're running into nothing but statues and pictures of him. And, you know, the point in which you said that you almost killed yourself was just because of psychic emanations from a statue. Mm-hmm. You know, so he does have a presence in the game. He just doesn't totally show right. up. Um, so after you're able to, to kill Hydra, um, the force field drops. You do a uh, classic video game style uh, dungeon escape as it, it falls apart. Um, which I don't know how to... I can't remember... You know, I did this without cheating the first time I played it. I don't remember how tough it was was this uh very frustrating uh it was frustrating for me because it wasn't very clear that you had to reactivate the portal that would take you back to the esoteric Mm. order um so i went running down an entirely different path and then when i finally figured out oh there's the portal um the rocks kind of collapsed on me at no point like when stuff is falling do you um get killed by you know falling debris you just kind of get displaced by it but it is timed and it's not entirely clear what you're supposed to do so i was standing there trying to you know mashing furiously trying to get the uh the teleporter to activate and uh, i was crushed by a rock (laughs) and I i didn't realize that you could save right after you defeated hydra uh, so I had to redo her fight all over again. Yeah, to talking about just real quickly about save points in this mm-hmm. game, like they're, uh, they're Elder Signs, which uh, it's kind of interesting because there's two variants. There's one that's just the save point, but then there's also the one that has the whole uh, pentagram, pentagram drawn around it. And that's kind of a, a holy symbol, you know, the closest thing to a holy symbol in the mythos. Um, and it actually repels enemies. And they're, you know, they're usually not found where there are enemies, but there are a couple points where bad guys can be chasing you and you turn around a corner. If there's a save point there, then they shield their eyes and are helpless, and you can kill them with a crowbar. It's a nice little bit of sanctuary. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a neat mechanic. And this last one, that last save point you're talking about, is actually under like a plot coupon item. Like You pick up a, a gem that you need to move forward, and under it just happens to be that symbol, and you can use it to save. I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's hidden. Like it's, I mean, I think it's purposely hidden from you. It's just kind of neat. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't necessarily think to try. So after you, um, you know, save or no, after you kind of escape through this cavern, um, you know, you find, you go through a portal, you find the feds, uh, you've saved the day, you know, they've destroyed Innsmouth, they've uh, destroyed this underground um, compound, and you reward yourself by uh, having a flashback that kind of explains a little bit about, um, you know, you being displaced by Ithian, and then uh, hanging yourself. <laughs> the yep. congratulations end. congratulations it's actually if you get that uh, a plus ending that you were mentioning earlier it's a little ambiguous whether you actually kill yourself it shows yourself try to and it shows an orderly come in and try to help you but uh if you get the regular ending your last journal entry it says suicide note at the top mm-hmm. if you get the total completion entry ending it doesn't say suicide note at the top okay. So you still t- it's still very grim, but you don't actually use the word suicide. And that is the, you know, other than extra little bit of plotness, you know, the Yithian, I am your father kind of thing. Uh, that is your bonus for 
beating the game under insane fucking conditions just really quickly <laughs> and really difficultly. Yeah, and that, that kind of walks you through the game. We kind of integrated our uh, gameplay talk into the plot talk this time, as opposed to kind of separating them like we usually do. Were there any things about the gameplay specifically you wanted to bring up that we didn't cover? Not really. Um, I mean, we can talk about our frustrations, which I think are kind of endemic yeah. to the discussion about the gameplay. I mean, I think that my biggest frustration with this is that they didn't have an editor. Um, gameplay, yeah. story or what have you. There's a lot of really interesting ideas, but the signal to noise ratio um, and just their ability to kind of focus on one thing that makes the game good uh, really is thrown by the wayside, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, if you want to kind of overanalyze it, um, you know, a lot of the problems had to do with the the studio running out of money. Um, It's kind of development hell that it spent all this time in. If this same game, you know, the same people who came up with the ideas of this game had made an, an indie game, not only would it, you know, it'd be amnesia, but it would also, um, it would have been so much better, you know, if someone wasn't trying to, you know, some of the things that make the game worse feel like concessions to like a big studio, you know, like to make the game saleable, you know, get, kind of putting in these multiple climaxes, uh, giving you the weapons, kind of de-emphasizing the stealth gameplay, um, almost seems like, you know, is less of an artistic choice and more of a commercial choice to me. What do you mean this is the first person in the game that doesn't have guns? That's bullshit. Right, right, exactly. And it's kind of, you know, maybe if uh, if it had been developed after, you know, uh, Amnesia and Penumbra had had their success, maybe someone would see that as a, you know, more viable kind of option. But starting development, you know, literally in, in the early 2000s, you know, this was right, you know, Half-Life had been around, Deus Ex had been around when this started, but not for very long. You know, so this was really coming out of a, a world where, you know, it made it. They made it a very different shooter, but maybe not as different as they could have made it. Yeah, and the comparison to Amnesia and everything—it's—it's it's apparent that Amnesia learned a lot from this. At least to me, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Um, but these are both games that do a lot of the, a lot of similar things at their best, right? Right. Yeah, I think that kind of the closest DNA. Like, if you like this game, um, you know, I think that you'll probably like Amnesia. Conversely, if you like Amnesia, you should give this game a shot. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit more, you know, overt in the storytelling, and uh, it does have kind of some more failings to it, but uh, they're they're pretty similar. And if you're looking for other games that are very influenced by uh, Lovecraft's work, um, you would do well to look at the early Alone in the, Alone in the Dark games, and also um, there is a delightful Sherlock Holmes game called The Awakened um, that that breaks from the general kind of, you know, boringness of a lot of the Sherlock Holmes games and actually, uh, I think, uh, succeeds in kind of integrating the two mythos. In addition, like just kind of, you know, games that maybe aren't, uh, that similar to this in gameplay, but kind of share some DNA. Um, I was reminded of resident evil four when I played this, uh, I played resident evil four first. Um, I love, or do you not, not like, resident I evil like 4? resident evil four, but the okay. DNA that these two share Call of Cthulhu has more climaxes than Resident Evil 4 and a whorehouse combined, honestly. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. And Resident Evil 4 does have that kind of excess problem. But, I mean, I guess specifically in that town sequence in the beginning, I felt, you know, this kind of pursuit and being chased feeling, um, you know, hostile, like being alone in a foreign country that's 100% hostile in like kind of a supernatural way. 
you know, it's not it's not a super direct comparison, but there's just a little bit there. And another uh, thing that this game has something in common with, and we'll uh, talk about this when we announce our, our games for the next couple episodes, are games where the, the first part of the game is very clearly developed and a project of love, and then money runs out and the game gets worse. Um, there are a couple of different examples of that I can think of, um, one of which being Lionheart for PC. Did you ever get a chance to play I that? I never even heard of that. It is an Infinity Engine game. And when I first heard that, I was like, wow, there's an Infinity Engine game I haven't played. That's crazy. Um, that is based in the same, it's the the special system from Fallout. Um, that's really awesome. It's this like really cool um, Renaissance era setting. And the first fifth of it is amazing. And then it becomes a really boring dungeon crawl. Mm. And is largely just considered to have run out of money. Another game, uh, and this is a game we're not doing next episode, but we're doing it uh, two episodes from now. We're going to start announcing games two episodes from now. Uh, this way, if you decide you want to win that game, you can play our next game and uh, comment on it and have kind of increased incentive there. But another game that is kind of similar to is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Uh, that is the game we're doing for the end of October for Halloween. And that game also has a little bit of a problem where the beginning of the game is very well developed and then they ran out of money and passion and it gets worse. Pacing problems abound. Yep. So um, is there any kind of just like wrap up stuff you want to talk about with Call of Cthulhu before we get into the administrative stuff? Uh, you know, I just I think that I made a lot of jokes at the game's expense. It really is a unique experience. If you like games that uh, are flawed um, and if you like games that have interesting flaws, this one can't be missed. You know, I'm kind of a an enthusiast. I was about to say connoisseur, but that's about the most insufferable thing I could ever think to say. <laughs> I really like I really like really like survival horror games, and good ones are really hard to come by. I think that the scariest ones and the most interesting ones are also are also the ones that are uh, the most flawed. I'm thinking specifically of a game like Haunting Ground, which nobody but me liked. Um, yeah, I, I like Haunting okay, Ground. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm with so, you there. Yeah. Sound, um, also based on yeah. Pursuit as a game mechanic, which is which is amazing. Right. Um, but I just I think that it, it's it's worth playing, even if you will hate yourself uh, while you're while you're playing it and constantly hitting reload. I definitely agree, especially if you if you like horror games and horror experiences. I, I think it's essential to kind of power through. It's, it's one of my favorites. Um, again, you know, interesting flaws, but also the things that it does well. I haven't seen done as well. Some of the things, um, you know, specifically that escape mechanic and that, that hotel escape. If, if you are on the fence, if this ends up being on steam for $5, buy it and play until you get a gun. <laughs> and then if you don't want to play it anymore, if you like, that's fine. You've still gotten, you know, four solid hours of really awesome, unique gameplay out of it for $5. It's totally worth it. It's regrettable how few games there are, that are directly based on Lovecraft, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like Lovecraft has a kind of a hard time translating to other mediums. Um, and that includes games. And there are so many games that are influenced by Lovecraft, which we have, you know, gone through handily. Um, I think probably about as much, uh, well, not maybe not as much, but comparable to say how many games are influenced by, you know, Lord of the Rings or by, you know, any other kind of major author. You know, there's a lot of DNA to be found in all horror games and actually games in general, too, uh, that lead back to these ideas of, you know, mythos and things that are, you know, scarier described than when you see them. Um, yeah. Right, right. And games being a visual medium, I think, is probably why that's been so hard to, to pull off. Um, but I've, I was really surprised at how few even attempts there are at it. You know, this is a real this is a good game. 
but it's not like there are tons of bad uh, Lovecraft games either. You know, it is not very many people try. So, it's in the public domain. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. So indie, indie yeah. devs get Do on it. it. Uh, I want to see that open world uh, Lovecraft game that this was teased yeah. as. Now it's time for the listener participation uh, portion of our program here. And it's important to note that you can reach us with any comments you have about these games that, you know, watch out for fireballs at duckfeed.tv or call 419-834-WOFF. Um, but we didn't get a lot of response about this game. And resoundingly, when I talked to friends and when I put the word out in, uh, in social media, uh, what came back was that everybody had this game and they're a pile of games that they want to play, but ultimately never will. Um, just because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, there's new stuff coming out. It's the, it's the perpetual pile of shame uh, problem that you run across. But what right. happened is we actually got a lot of feedback from some Something Awful goons in the uh, video game podcast mega thread in the Rapidly Going Deaf forum. So I'd like to take this moment to shout out to you guys and say thanks so much for responding um, in the thread. I don't know if you knew that you were going to be putting stuff in to, uh, to, to be read on the podcast, but oh well, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you have a problem with it, let yeah. us know. Um, I... I can't imagine you will, but if so, just let us know. But yeah, thanks. And, and also thanks for listening. That thread has been really supportive as far as, uh, you know, feedback and everything. So thanks a lot to the the people in that thread who are, who are listening to the show. Yeah. So our first comment is from a goon called Wikipedia Brown, which is an amazing <laughs> username. Um, something that is uh, uh, kind of a nice part about something awful community. The usernames are great. Uh, but he said, I've never been able to get past some of the clumsier elements of Dark Corners. It's too bad because it has some really great ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, you know, we definitely touched on that. Um, we were able to power through <laughs> those clumsier elements. Um, so you don't have to. Um, yeah, I definitely agree yeah. with that. I think that's going to be a common theme here. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I've got a, a comment here from a goon named Gravity, um, and he says, <clears throat> I really wanted to like Dark Corners of the Earth. Back when Rebel FM had their game club, I gave the game a shot. The atmosphere in the town level is pretty fantastic. The gameplay is, for the most part, straight awful. The game has some pretty neat set pieces, though. I ended up cheating my way through to the level past the boat and then giving up. The game has some neat ideas, and I like the mythology, but the combination of bad gunplay and bad sneaking is just not very fun to play. Perhaps that's a level, perhaps another level of madness. <laughs> Roll I emoticon. Um, it was neat watching Dagon recently, parentheses, which is not a great movie, but the scene parallels that were done well in the game were fun to see in the movie. Creepy town with weird people escaping through a hotel. Um, yeah, th- you know, thanks a lot, uh, Gravity. I've also seen Dagon. Have you seen that movie? Before? I have not. I've heard about it. Uh, it was an independent film, right? It's a well. It's kind of. It's Stuart Gordon, same guy who did Reanimator. Okay. He kind of ends up being the uh, the poster child for Lovecraft film adaptations. Um, I really like Dagon. I wouldn't say it's a great movie. Um, it is flawed in a similar ways to the game, but um, you know, I I think that movie is pretty neat. And it does. It really is. You know, that basic story. So if that part's really compelling to you, you know, this kind of just town of of people who are hostile and escaping it, um, who are you know half human hybrids, then uh, that movie is a good alternative to the to the game the killing a deep one with a battleship was that call of cthulhu or was that uh the yeah. short story dagon 
that's in Call of okay. Cthulhu. I've, I've read both, yeah. but I didn't yeah. remember. I knew it was in one of them or the other. And our final uh, comment that we're going to read is from forums user Jetset Lemming, uh, who says, Last time I played it, my video card was out of date, so everyone's faces would flicker and vanish randomly, and I never actually got to beat the game. I did make it far enough to kill fucking Dagon while on a fucking battleship, though. <laughs> that part is spoilered out. Uh, you know, don't have to worry about spoilers here. <laughs> um, I remember that the actual boss was almost completely harmless. Meanwhile, man-sized lizard dudes, in the view of my memory, they're 100% identical to the frogmen that leap at you and can behead you in Resident Evil 3. Good catch. That is what they look like, almost mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, would consistently spawn on the deck and wreck my shit. Yeah, so maybe misremembering mis- kind of two parts of that level. <laughs> but uh, still, still, you know, it's it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and you do you do get to kill a fucking Dagon with a fucking boat <laughs> in, this, in this game, which speaks well. Yes, of it, it does eloquently, I'd say. And finally, we have something of a last minute response from Tyler, who emailed us an audio file of him talking about the game. So my college campus has this weird proxy that doesn't let you play any games online or really access Steam. So I have to use a rerouter to get around it, and little did I realize that. If I use that to download a game on Steam, it registers the country as being from the uh, the rerouted one. So I accidentally first downloaded this game completely under Russian settings, which made it a little more interesting. Didn't understand what was going on. Tried to play through it once. Uh, took a little while to figure out that it wasn't a Batman game and that Arkham Asylum was completely coincidental. Once I got past that, I just kind of went along with it, got to the town, and kind of wandered around for a while before I just kind of gave up and then figured out how to get it back on English. But once I got it on English, actually, I kind of missed the Russian voice acting because Jack in the English game, he just... It's its strange that sometimes when he's starting to go insane, you know, you can hear him in the background going like, oh, what's happening? Or breathing really heavy. And then he does one of his little, this cabinet can't be opened. Or just calmly saying like, oh, I, I wonder what's going on in this book. So whereas with the Russians, they just sound really angry and frantic all the time, which kind of fit a little bit better with the mood of the game. It was nice being able to actually read books and things like that. But at the same time, like, there are points where I really didn't feel like I had that much more direction than I did when I was playing it in Russian. I mean, it is fairly linear, but there are just some points where I was completely floundering for where I was supposed to go in the town. Or when the fishmen attacked, I I went through that bedroom wake-up run out scene I don't know how many times before I finally figured out you know jump across to here go up these stairs go up this uh, ladder get onto the top of this building it was fairly ridiculous but still fun I, I guess points like that where you didn't really know where you were supposed to go helped with the whole horror thriller you know kind of lost at sea type feel although I was kind of frustrated that the game kept giving me ammo when I had no gun. It was like, oh, here's some ammo. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll get my gun soon. Maybe I'll actually be able to defend myself. But instead, there would be another, like, five or so cutscenes and no gun to be found. Uh, 
a lot of people weren't a fan of their choice to film the entire game using a projector, but I say I say go for it. You know, vintage is in these days. Why why not why not have a little fun? It took a lot of reels, but I think they they pulled it off nicely. So altogether, really enjoyed how much I've played of Call of Cthulhu so far. Hopefully, I'll be getting to the end of it soon. Probably a game I wouldn't have found otherwise. So uh, thanks for pointing that out there. I like the way you smile at me, baby. ideal Lovecraft game would be similar to I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream. Mm. Um, and it would probably go through um, like, you know, Mounds of Madness or something else. Uh, maybe maybe uh, my, my knowledge of the mythos is not. But take, take one of those books and then kind of build on it like the I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream game did on built on the short story. You know. Yeah, my my I would have to say my ideal one would be a cart racer, <laughs> starring um, starring all of uh, my favorite characters and monsters. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't I don't know why that hasn't been done yet. But get on any devs. That would be amazing. Yeah, get on any devs. <laughs> <laughs>